It's Marie and welcome to First Up. It's Rahina Monday, the 12th of December. Core Anna Thomas DNA. Coming up, an immunologist says a lack of reliable data means we could be heading into the Christmas period with far more COVID infections than we're aware of. We ask the son of a dairy owner killed in 2014 what he thinks of the government's new initiative to tackle youth crime. Our sports team will recap on an epic weekend at the Football World Cup in Qatar. And we hear from a woman who knows the ghost said to haunt the St Bathans Vulcan Hotel. People that stay in room one, they often say that they get held down in their bed and can't move. They also have their belongings moved about the room. The door sometimes gets locked. Atamare and welcome to First Up. I'm Anna Thomas. Great to be with you this week in the final week of the programme for the year. Now, we begin this morning in the United States. I'm joined by uh, from New York by our correspondent, Anna Burns-Francis. Morena, Anna. Morning, Anna. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. It is Monday. We'll see how the rest of the week goes. (laughs) The alarm went off, which I'm really pleased about. (laughs) Um, Now, let's uh, let's start with uh, authorities that have in their custody a man they say built the bomb which took down the Pan Am 747 over the Scottish town of Lockerbie in 1988. Who is he? Yeah, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Mm. Abu Aguila Mohammed Masood. Now, it's the FBI that has told us today that they finally uh, have secured the custody of Masood two years since the US filed charges against him. They think only two years, that's not long. So he's not quite in America yet. He's still in Libya, but surprisingly, the US have managed to negotiate his extradition. He's already in jail on unrelated crimes. We don't quite yet know what the US has had to negotiate to get him uh, to the state. What's interesting is the timing of all of this because Masood's role really only came to more public light or new scrutiny with a documentary that went to air in 2015 by the brother of a man who was killed in the bombing. Now, this guy found Masood in prison. He got pictures of him. Libyan authorities had actually denied that he even existed for many years. So since then, the Americans have pursued the charges. uh, And it's an important case for America. 190 Americans died on that flight. Mm. And it was the the deadliest terrorist incident um, to take place on British soil. I think that still remains, doesn't it? It does, yes. Mm -hmm. And I remember it uh, too, 1988. I do remember and I remember seeing all those images. Pretty horrific. Um, Moving to the the US Federal Reserve is, is predicted to raise rates again this week. When will this be announced? Oh, it's coming Wednesday our time, which is Thursday uh, for you guys uh, in the future. More pain on the way. The Fed's saying that this time it's just unavoidable. But this is the problem with the Fed, right? It only has a very few select but pretty blunt tools in its kit to use. So the only thing that has happened this year with all these rates rises, though, is the housing market has slumped a bit and rates have gone up 6% nearly here, which is quite a bit Mm. for a market that was 1% or below uh, for the last few years. Jobs, though, still going strong. Consumer spending still really high and it will have to come down at some point. And the Fed is hoping that after this announcement, they can start doing a smaller set of rises just to stop the coal country falling off the edge into a recession. The timing might have made these numbers look a bit funny, of course, because it's been Halloween and Thanksgiving and up soon as Christmas. So holiday spending on gifts and travel is always high at this time of the year. Mm, might be a different story next year. And um, the Artemis capsule is uh, due to splash down any minute. It's been in space, well, how long has it been in space for? 
earned 26 days to the moon and now it's coming back. So this is the Orion capsule, due for splashdown in the Pacific Ocean, so not too far from you, in about an hour and a half from now. So this was the test flight. Uh, everything as it will be, except next time there will be astronauts on board. has taken a while to get here. You'll remember those multiple failed launches yes. this year alone. It's also facing a multi-billion dollar cost overrun. But NASA sees this as an important mission, not just to prove for the second time that we can land on the moon, uh, but that it can become a portal or a stopover for fueling missions even deeper into space. That's a no from me. I think I'm quite happy with two feet planted on Earth. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And uh, now... A pair of pants from a shipwreck have sold for how much? Yeah, got to be the most expensive pair of Levi's ever. You think, well, at the moment, they're presumed to be Levi's. They've been underwater for so long, no one's quite sure. But <laughs> 177000 New Zealand dollars after being sold at auction this oh week. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. I know, they've gone up and with age. They should hold on to your jeans. These are from 1857, the shipwreck of the SS Central America. It was found in the 80s off the coast of South Carolina after sinking in a hurricane on its way to New York. So how did the jeans survive? Well, the owner had packed them into a trunk, which stopped the normal, what they call bacterial degradation and biological consumption. I think they mean being eaten by fish. <laughs> uh, as to who owns them now, the successful bidder has asked to remain anonymous. Oh, gosh. The they don't make clothes like them anymore, do they, really? <laughs> <laughs> Worth Anna, the money you would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. Anna Burns, Francis, thank you so much for joining us. It is 10 past five and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with Anna Thomas. We're keen for your feedback. And will you be thinking of COVID risks this summer? Or is it not something you're taking into consideration? Are you just kind of turning your mind off and forgetting about COVID and, and looking forward to Christmas and the nice relaxing summer? Why don't you text us 2101? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, tweet us at First Up RNZ or email firstup at rnz.co.nz. You can also find Find us on Facebook and Instagram at First Up RNZ. It is Monday morning, so time to cross to our Europe correspondent, Nita Blake Pearson, who joins us from Germany. Morena, Nita. Good morning, Anna. How are you? Oh, really great, thank you. Uh, lovely to be speaking to you. It's been a few uh, few years, uh, myself personally. Um, tell us, uh, one of Parliament's European Parliament's fourteen vice presidents has been arrested on suspicion of corruption. What's this about? Yeah, this has really rocked uh, Brussels. Belgian police have today confirmed they've arrested four people over an investigation into corruption at the European Parliament. Uh, media here are reporting that Belgian investigators are looking into whether the Gulf state, Qatar, we're hearing a lot about them at the moment, tried mm. to influence the parliament in ways that go beyond classic lobbying. So there have been a few police raids over recent days. They've uh, seized roughly 600,000 euros in cash, cell phones and computer equipment. And now some serious charges are cropping up. There's uh, participation in a criminal organisation, money laundering and corruption. And the highest profile of the arrest is this Greek socialist parliamentary member, Eva Kiley. She, as you say, is one of the 14 vice presidents at the European Parliament, a very powerful politician. And apparently several bags full of banknotes were discovered at her house, Ooh. which police searched after allegedly finding her, uh, her father in possession of a large amount of cash in a suit 
suitcase. So, as I say, we've uh, we've all heard plenty of criticism over uh, Qatar's human rights record in the lead up to the Football World Cup, and Eva Kaili has been a vocal defender of uh, Doha's human rights record. Uh, Doha and Qatar, though, taking real steps to distance itself from this. They've uh, put a statement out to the news site Politico saying that they categorically reject any attempts to associate it with accusations of uh, misconduct. So trying to distance themselves from a, a pretty major scandal for both Doha and, and European Parliament, I guess. Mm, it's not what they need. Power corrupts and what, is the, what do they say? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Gosh. Absolutely. Now, yeah, the fallout continues from the far right raids in Germany. Uh, what more have we learnt over the past few days? Well, authorities have now named more than 50 suspects after those raids, and that number could grow as police are combing through cell phones and all this evidence that they're acquiring. All of these people connected to the far-right Reichsberger movement. Uh, there's a huge list of, of people who are cropping up. There are former members of special forces, uh, an active elite soldier, a, a police officer who'd just been suspended from duty, a pilot, a lawyer. There was also a judge at the Berlin Regional Court who was a member of German political party AFD, and uh, she was considered part of the less radical camp there, which says Gosh. quite a bit about them. Um, but a government spokesperson today confirming that the number of people joining this Reichsberger group is rising. Official figures put membership at around 23,000, and that's an increase of 9.5% on last year. So the government looking at ways to respond to this. They're um, now considering tightening gun laws, which are already some of the strictest in Europe. There have also been calls for stricter background checks on members of security forces and for an overhaul of access to the German parliament, given what it was these guys were hoping to do. Um, the government does seem to be taking this seriously, but they've also come under fire in recent days for not taking a strong enough stance uh, in other recent times. Some comments in the media that the language that had been used to condemn recent climate activism, you know, think soup on paintings, had been much stronger from politicians than they had used towards the far right. So, um, Certainly lots of people considering what the next steps are now. Mm. And, and France makes condoms free for 18 to 25-year-olds. What's behind this? Yeah, well, apparently uh, STI rates have been climbing very rapidly in France. And um, with the cost of living rising all over the world, the French government says no excuses. We are going to make condoms as accessible as possible. At first, it was just going to be um, people aged 18 to 25. But now Emmanuel Macron is saying anyone under 25, head into a pharmacy and you can get free condoms from January. He's calling it a small revolution in prevention. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant idea. Maybe we should, because uh, we've got actually quite high STI rates in um, in New Zealand. I did hear that, uh, I think at one stage Hamilton was cons uh, considered the chlamydia capital of, of the country. I, I don't know whether do that's done. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and syphilis apparently is making a comeback in New Zealand as well, so maybe this initiative uh, could be brought in here, Nita. <laughs> Take a leaf out of the French book. Watch this space. Watch this space. Nita Blackperson, thanks so much. And hey, Merry Christmas. Have a, have a great uh, relaxing holiday if you're having and one. to you too, Anna. <laughs> Take care. You too. Okay. It is a quarter past five on first up. Uh, now the Pohutakawa is in bloom. Michael Bublé is playing 
on a loop in the mall, and many of us are wondering how on earth it's December already. But yes, uh, Christmas time is upon us, and our producers Matthew Tunison, Marvish Ikram, and Leonard Powell hit the streets in various parts of Tamaki Makoto to put festive questions to the folks they met. Now, the first thing they asked people was, what's the worst present you've ever received? When I was a child one Christmas, my sister and I all just seemed to be given pairs of knickers from aunts and cousins and things, and it was extremely disappointing. I don't really know. Like, what's every Christmas is always a nice Christmas for me. Every Christmas is always like, oh, very nice. Where are you generally at Christmas? Just at the beach with the fams. What's the worst present you've ever received, Sharon? A second-hand set of golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> do you play from the market? Yeah. Do you play golf? No. <laughs> oh, my husband at the time. At the time, <laughs> he also did get me a set of carving knives secondhand from Avondale Market. Okay, so he's um, thrifty. thrifty <laughs> Cheap, yeah. Worst present you've ever received? An umbrella, handkerchiefs. I've never had one because I believe the person that given it to you has always put a lot of thought in it to it. Uh, a shirt that was about three sizes too big for me. <laughs> I can't think of a worse one, no. I can't, sorry. I think I'm too old at 41 to remember getting a present for the last few Christmases. Worst present though. Is there a worst present? There's not really, is there? If someone's giving you something, they, they're thinking kindly of you, aren't they? Uh, no, any present I get has been good, yeah. The worst present at Santa Claus is, I think, pyjamas. I guess no present. Oh, but it is the thought that counts, isn't it? I do remember getting a second-hand book for Christmas from my mother. Anyway, um, now the team also asked if people prefer a real or a fake Christmas tree. And there's only one answer for me. A fake tree because my husband's allergic to real trees. Fake. And why? Because I'm not home for Christmas, so... But we put up our Christmas tree at my daughter's last night and it's a real one, yeah. A real tree? But in this day and age, we should probably say a fake tree to help the environment. Real? I really like the smell. We prefer fake just for the ease of storing them and getting rid of the old trees. We've had old real trees before, but uh, getting rid of it afterwards is a bit hard now. Uh, real, 100%. It's more traditional, they smell nice, look good. Yeah, we've got a fake tree. Fake tree, same one every year? I've got a new one this year, actually. Oh. The other one was looking a bit shabby. Fake one. Fake, fake one. one. Yeah. Do you get lights and everything? <laughs> we have to put a heater. A fake one, yeah, and we put it up last night. Ah, well, what happened? You put the lights on, you put the balls on? Yeah, and we only had a little one, a fake one, because we're actually going away before Christmas, so we're going to pack it up in the car and take it with us. Uh, we have a fake one with um, optic, fibre optic, so just plug it in and it's all done. <laughs> what do you mean fibre optic? Oh, so there's, um, you know, you turn it on and the fibre optic lights up. And oh, so it's got inbuilt lights? Yes. And does it flash and stuff? Yes. The kids love it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Oh, it's always real. It's always real for us because of the smell. But I do get why, you know, you do have fake trees. Yeah. I'd love to know if um, if you've had a pretty dodgy present or what your worst present is. Text 2101 um, and let's compare. <laughs> Thank you.
It is 20 past five. I'm Anna Thomas and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, immunologist Dr Anna Brooks says a lack of reliable data means we could be heading into the Christmas period with far more COVID infections than we're aware of. Uh, she's here just before six this morning. Glenn Forsyth is next with uh, what's good in the fruit and veggie aisles this week. And we hear from a woman who swears there's a ghost in Central Otago's Vulcan Hotel. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in the rear Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head We're off to the fresh produce markets now with our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth Morena, Glenn, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, Morena, Anna, very well, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good A couple of weeks out from Christmas um, tell yes. us, Yeah, yeah, are you gearing up? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a big thing for us in the produce industry. It, it gets silly. It's it, it, does, it does get silly. <laughs> yeah. Now, you want to begin this morning by talking about one of your favourite growers. Oh, yeah. Starting today with one of my most favourite growers in New Zealand, leader brand of Gisborne, begun by Mr. Murray McPhail in the 70s, 100% family-owned and operated, a great man ahead of his time, an icon of our industry. What Mr. John Painter is to the yummy brand of apples, Murray is to broccoli and lettuce, just two of their amazing array of vegetables. I first met Murray in the early 80s on the market floors in Wellington, wearing his distinctive cowboy hat, me a spotty-faced <laughs> teenager, him a 30-something A-lister, looking sexier than Crocodile Dundee, and we all <laughs> knew something special was, was brewing. I mean, And now in another line they do exceptionally well are salads, this is a big category, currently in good supply and popular for Christmas and post-Christmas as people look for quick preparation options for meal times. Now look out for their Caesar salad, that's a top seller, and their coleslaw ranges. Pre-made slaws have gone gangbusters with consumers of late. And baby spinach, for example, you can have fresh in smoothies and they are hard, you know, they're hardy enough to add it late into a stir-fry too. Finally, try the leader brand crispy salad pack, iceberg lettuce base, Carrot, red cabbage, and a dressing in there to boot. Yeah, so they got some marvellous. Yeah, and very, very good for the time hungry people um, who need those those uh, prepackaged um, salads. They're very handy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, how about the veggies? Uh, are we going to see some nice new potatoes for Christmas? Yeah, a mixed bag this week with the wet weather still being the dictator. What is good this morning, though, is cherry tomatoes, king sweeties, capsicums, eggplant and cucumbers. And on the boundary, baby cos, coriander and green frill, fancy lettuce. Tireless grower Kevin Bailey, he brings us good news that his fresh peas are in full supply and their round beans have started. Now, we are sport for choice on small potatoes, Anna, a must for Christmas, but digging is slow going. They're available, however, don't leave your run too late. And this includes the Perlers, Oakley's Golden Gourmet, Little Diggers and the Jersey Benny. Now, sweet corn is still not plentiful either. It's chilly and crops not firing yet. Had the pleasure to talk with Richard Burke last week of Leader Brand again. And how's this? Hired there in the early 90s as a tractor driver. Now he's CEO of that amazing company. A humble guy. Amazing. A humble guy. So positive and very passionate. Now, corn is a big one for them. And they start picking this week with more coming on Christmas week. They run several varieties of sweet corn, all for the taste and flavor. Now, Richard likes corn raw. Slice it off the cob and straight into the salad. As a kid, he would eat so much of it raw that he would skip lunch. Otherwise, it's on the barbecue, husk on, tassel off, and put a little water down in there to help with steaming, he says. And later in the season, husk off, which helps with the caramelization.
Ah, news you can use. There you go. I didn't know you put a little drip. I, we we do put our corn on the barbecue, but that little uh, hint with the water, that's it's great. And seven varieties of corn. My goodness, I, I had no idea. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about fruit. What is good this week? Now, fruit, without studying the obvious in-season lines this week, are your safest bet for quality. These include New Zealand mandarins, Australian oranges and R2 E2 mangoes from there, New Zealand berries, and two more stone fruit choices. Yummy Orchards in Hawke's Bay, they've started with their black diamond plums, sold loose or in 800-gram bags. Uh, they are a dark skin with a sweet crimson red flesh. Yummy have also begun their classic nectarine, eating more mellow than previous years are the early reports, but still with that traditional classic flavour. Their popular honey nectarine, sweeter and low fruit acidity, they start harvesting late this week. And we have some exciting news, Anna, on that super fruit, the watermelon. Leader brand, they took a break on these, but this year they are back with the vengeance. Their first harvest will be mid-January for an eight-week season. Just wait, you know, waiting for that hot weather to bring on the flavour and sweetness. They are growing the large oblong stripe one and the smaller round one, both red flesh. So look out for these two, the leader brand sticker of scrumptiousness. Richard recommends the best storage is 10 to 12 degrees, so the coolest part of the house will do if they ever make it home. But as always, you know, with the watermelon especially, fresh is best. So there we go. <laughs> Wonderful. Glenn Forsyth, hey, thanks so much. Have a great week. Giles, my man, how are you doing? Anna Smith, <laughs> it's a zillion years since you and I worked together. <laughs> <laughs> Too long. Oh, it makes me feel really old, mate. Makes oh, me feel oh, very old. Oh, hang on. What did you make me feel? <laughs> oh, you're right. That's right. You were, you were the old guy in the newsroom many years ago, weren't you? <laughs> uh, no, I was just trim, taut and terrific. It was just the way I looked. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Okay, enough of reminiscing. <laughs> what are you focusing on this morning? Well, having a look at it's out this morning. It's uh, a grocery supplier cost index. It's done by Infometrics in conjunction with foodstuffs. That's New World, Pack and Save, Foursquare. Uh, it's calculated that uh, food inflation, grocery inflation, shall we say, mm-hmm. is up just over 10% uh, in November on the year before. Feels so, like a whole lot more than that, Giles, I so, have to say. Well, it's obviously the things they look at. They survey around uh, 60,000 products that they buy in uh, and calculate the prices. Generally speaking, uh, it's um, you know all the usual uh, suspects. Some of it's imported, uh, but there's a good deal of uh, reflection there on fuel prices, which are still high, and hence transport costs for food are high. Uh, supply chain disruptions continue to be an issue, uh, and of course, you know when that feeds through the uh, the chain. Then the growers put their prices up for the wholesalers who put their prices up for us. So what it suggests is that food inflation not going away anytime soon at an annual rate of just over 10%. It makes up about 
18%. So just under a fifth of the overall consumer price index. That's how important it is. Uh, We'll get the uh, latest inflation numbers um, around the end of January. That will take us to the end of this year. But looking at this uh, in particular, it suggests that it will continue. Inflation will continue to be high. If inflation is high then, of course, interest rates will keep going up. And it was interesting to listen to Anna Burns-Francis a little bit earlier in the program, uh, talking about the Federal Reserve. Everything she said there, she could have just dropped out the words US. And put New Zealand in. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's all applicable. Mm. Um, I won't go into things such as inverted yield curves, but the (laughs) the US inflation numbers do matter for us because they set the tone for long-term interest rates around the world. In other words, for 10-year government bonds, those sorts of things. Uh, And and that, in the end, it has an influence on, on what we're paying uh, to borrow money. So, yeah, there's a little uh, capsule of inflation on both sides of the Pacific. Great. Thanks, Giles. And uh, let's uh, tell us about the money market. Well, I'm, I'm told you, you you know, that Jeremy couldn't get to his local foreign exchange dealer this morning. <laughs> so I can tell you that Kiwi will buy you 64.15 US cents, 94.26 Australian, 52.3 British pence, 0.608 euro and because I've still got some of these in my wallet from uh, my recent trips uh, one New Zealand dollar will buy you 15,100 Vietnamese dong oh <laughs> lovely Giles Giles Bigford thank you so much I look forward to talking with you tomorrow morning <laughs> It is time for sport with Clay Wilson, and who's joined me in the studio. Could be nothing so, else with that music. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, good, good. What a weekend of sport you've had, hey? Yeah, the World Cup just rolls on. Eh? Only yeah. four left standing in uh, pretty dramatic uh, quarterfinals yesterday morning. Yes. Of course, France and England, two heavyweights of world football and the world in general, really going head to head. In uh, France, of course, coming out on top, and been a lot of reaction out of England. Enormous expectation, of course, always on that team. Uh, and I guess always debate about officials in these kinds of situations, especially given penalties are involved and non-penalties and those kinds of things. Been a lot of debate about the officials. Um, you have to feel for someone like Harry Kane, England captain, you know, tasked with taking... He was successful with his first penalty, but then t- taking another one and missing it, and you end up being the the person that some people point the finger at sometimes, don't you? But no, no. Um, someone has to step up and, and do that, and unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. And and France will go through. So they, I think, the first team since 1960. They would be the first team since 1960 to be back to back champions if they can can go through. Wow! So, so and look, speaking of firsts, uh, Morocco. I mean, mm. uh, just miraculous. The yeah, whole the, the first time they've they've won a match. I think I was reading uh, any uh, Arab or or African nation had had won it, had gotten to the semi-finals. I think at the World right? Cup, the World, World Cup, Cup history. Yeah. World so history. so it's not mm. just being celebrated in Morocco, but mm. you're talking about the, a, a lot of Africans and and around the Arab world really celebrating that achievement, and a lot of Mor- Moroccans spread around. 
Europe and places like that, you see some, I think the Champs-Élysées was completely gridlocked for hours after mm. that Moroccan victory because they were just going wild celebrating that. But fantastic? Amazing, you know, to beat Spain and then to come out. And a lot of people thought, well, you know, they did it once, they might not do it again. And, and here they are, they beat Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, walking down the tunnel in yeah, two years and probably yes. his last chance to, to win a World Cup. But they go through. So France against Morocco in one of those semi-finals. And then Wednesday. Now, what day is it? So they'll be uh, Wednesday and Thursday, those two semi-finals. Right. Other semi-final, of course, Argentina against Croatia. So while Ronaldo misses out on his chance, Lionel Messi is the other one who hasn't been able to cap his wonderful individual career with a World Cup win and he stays alive because Argentina are through against Croatia in that other semi-final. Exciting, Mm. very exciting. Um, Okay, now what about the White Ferns? They beat Bangladesh in the first ODI. Yeah, so this has been a a little bit uh, of a one-sided... of a one-sided tour so far. Bangladesh is still an emerging nation, really, in, in the women's game. So for the White Ferns, this is really about preparing them for the upcoming T20 World Cup, which is in South Africa starting in, in February. So really just preparation for them um, in that. But good to see them roll on with another performance and um, some of their likely faces getting into form ahead of that. They'll get a little bit of a break and then come back after after the new year and uh, and come into that, that World Cup. And I mean, it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were playing a World Cup here no, that's right. in, in New Zealand soil. So they'll hope that one goes a little bit better, but nice to see them rolling along and we'll get to see the Black Caps back in action soon. Of course, they're not here for the summer, but um, in Pakistan. So that'll be mm-hmm. interesting to, to not have a Boxing Day test kind of here and see yeah. them playing over over there for once. Yeah, yeah. 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 And just uh, finally, the uh, the All Black Sevens are into the final of the Cape Down Sevens. Yeah, both both uh, both the All Black Sevens and the Black Fern Sevens into the final in Cape Down. So the Black Ferns have got a rematch against Australia, who they lost to in Dubai. Of course, they're long-time rivals. And the New Zealand men are playing Samoa. So those finals about about six and then about just before seven o'clock this morning, so not too far away. And and those teams are pretty early on in their series, but of course always doing pretty well. And nice to see them um, back in finals. Lovely, Clay Wilson. Thank you so much. No Great time to be a sports reporter, I reckon. Hey, <laughs> now um, this week we're going to be touring some of New Zealand's top summer locations. So some of which you may not have come across before. This morning we're in one of the jewels in the crown, St Bathans in Central Otago. But it's not just the breathtaking vistas, the world-beating Pinot Noir, and the high country sheep stations that make it such a great place to visit. It also has a ghost. Our regional ambassador this morning is Sue Ingram, who's been working at St Bathans Historic Vulcan Hotel for 29 years and knows better than anyone else the spirit said to haunt Room 1. The ghost we have is uh, Rose. She was the lady of the night back in the gold mining era and she was murdered apparently in Room 1, where which was her room at the time. And she... We never found the guy who murdered her, so she's still floating around. And you've been there 29 years. Have you seen Rose? Well, you never actually see Rose. You you see a glimpse of something out the corner of your eye, usually a dark shadow, and often you'll switch around and there's nobody there. But you get the feeling that there's someone there. She's actually, she's very, very mischievous ghost. (laughs) In what way? Oh, she just, she plays tricks on you. She shifts <laughs> things around and she locks doors and she she just generally just likes to be mischievous. It's, she's really fun. She's quite fun. Okay, so she's like a friendly ghost. 
Well, she seems to be. Maybe Casper is her friend. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had many visitors who have experienced her or seen her or have had any run-ins with her? Yes, people that stay in room one, they they often say that they get held down in their bed. Oh, um, oh, that's not so friendly. No, and can't move. But it seems she seems to choose men to do that too. So maybe she's just getting her own back. Mm, yeah. yeah. Do, do we know yep. any details about her murder? The uh, murderer was never caught, but do we know what happened? No. No, we don't really. Uh, we just know that she had a little stash of money and gold there and um, that obviously he felt that he deserved it more than she did and so killed her and left her to it, flying there and that was it. Yeah. But wow. she's, she's, it, it, is, it is kind of sad though, isn't it? Mm, it's very sad, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And back in those days, what, the 1860s, um, St Bathans had, had 13 pubs, is that right? Yes. 2,000 people in its heyday. The hotels seemed to be very close together. Like Some of them were actually big establishments. Like The Vulcan now was originally the Ballarat, and it got its name changed when the original Vulcan burnt down the second time, and that was in the 1930s. They transferred the licence from the Vulcan Hotel to the Ballarat, hence the name change. What happened to all of the other hotels? Well, they seem to have either burnt down or a lot of them may have been, what do you call them, the, like tent buildings or something that were just put there because it was a way of people making money. But I know of Montezuma, where the Montezuma is, which is just down the road from us. There's a house there now. And then an empty section next door to the hotel, that's where the original Vulcan Hotel was. So everything was very close together, really. Do people make a point of actually booking room one uh, in the yes, hope that they, they do. Oh, they do? Yes, mm. yes, it's a very popular room. And people that, that do stay there, like, like I've said, they, they do say that sometimes they get held down in the bed, but they also have their belongings moved about the room. The door sometimes gets locked and the keys have been changed to a different room, things, things like that. It's quite interesting, but it hasn't put anybody off. And anyone that does stay in room one, if we remember in the morning, <laughs> we give them a little round magnet that says, I survived room, room one Vulcan <laughs> Hotel, just to, as our special gift to them for having gone and done it. Yeah. It's a great marketing thing as well to do. Well, it, it is, it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so is it, is, it, is it hard to book room one? I'm just thinking of our next trip down south. Oh, no, if you get in early, you're usually pretty lucky. There's a lot of people that won't stay there, like people that don't realise it's the ghost room when they've been booked in with a group. We had that recently with a lady. She just totally freaked out and she just refused to stay. So we had to find somewhere else for her to go. Wow. (laughs) Wow, so some people are excited by the idea, others are pretty scared by it. Well, they can be, yes. Mm. I suppose it just depends how how much you believe and how much you don't, really. What, what, what's been the biggest fright she's given you? Occasionally you get this, these little nudges when you're working behind the bar and it just gives you like the chills from the bottom of your feet through to the top of your head, you know, and you get all the little wee, your hairs all stand up on your neck kind of thing. That, that would be the, the most, I think. Yeah, she sort of, it's just the locking of the doors that gets you though because 
poor people that come in and they go to leave and the doors won't open because <laughs> she's locked it. It's just, it's so naughty. It's very naughty. <laughs> and you've never thought about getting Ghostbusters in at all to uh, try and get rid of her? No, not really. Cause mm. it, it must be her home, really, eh? mm. So we've, we've had a few psychic people come in and sort of like who haven't realised that there's a ghost there and told us that there's, did you know that there's a spirit? Which is, it sort of makes you feel like, yes, there's definitely something here and we're not imagining things. Mm. So. Mm. It's quite cool. It's quite cool. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to coming down and staying one night with uh, oh, well, and meeting Rose. <laughs> Brilliant. We've got wonderful food as well. Oh, uh, <laughs> great! Excellent. I love my food. Um, and and just uh, and your how's summer? How's summer looking for you? Summer is looking really good. You know, the, the weather's really nice and the the lakes looking beautiful. So I think we're going to have a great time over summer. Well, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for joining us, Sue. You're so welcome, and I hope everyone has a lovely and Merry Christmas. Wonderful. That is Sue Ingram from the St. Bathans Historic Vulcan Hotel. It's great to get your feedback, actually. It's all coming through, um, which I'll get to before six. But I'd love to hear if you have had an encounter with Rose the Ghost as well. Text 2101. Is oh gosh, uh, let's try uh, sixteen minutes to six. Not very good at telling that time. Uh, you are with Anna Thomas on first half on RNZ National. Still to come, we ask the son of a dairy owner killed in twenty fourteen what he thinks of the government's new initiative to tackle youth crime. And leading immunologist Anna Brooks joins us before six to discuss her concern that a lack of data means that we're heading into the holidays with COVID far more prevalent than we realise. Uh, the professionals of Morning Report are up after six and for a quick preview of our flagship news programme is Corin Dan. Good morning, Corin. Atmania, good morning. Uh, we'll have a, a big wrap-up this morning uh, from the by-election results in Hamilton West. We'll talk to the winner, of course, Tama Potaka, as well as the Prime Minister for her uh, normal Monday morning uh, media round and uh, conversation with us. So we'll get some reaction to that, just what Labour plans to do, if anything, in the wake of a pretty resounding uh, defeat there. Uh, we will also uh, catch up on the football too with our correspondent Kun Lamas, uh, who's been over there during the, the whole tournament and uh, the reaction in particular to that big uh, loss to England, that England-France game was a fascinating watch. Uh, so we'll cover off that. We'll also cover off the Artemis uh, launch as well and the splashdown, which is uh, due shortly. Oh, lovely. Corinne Dan there and uh, join the team. And Kim Hill this morning. Uh, tune in just after six. Now, on Thursday, the government announced circuit breaker measures to stop 10 to 13-year-olds from re-offending. It's part of the Better Pathways package aimed at helping young offenders to re-engage with education and training. Children who offend will now have a plan put in place within 24 to 48 hours. Recently, we spoke to Shivanil Kumar, whose life changed forever in 2014 because of two underage offenders. Shivanil's father was stabbed to death in his dairy after a botched robbery. And it would have been, what, 100 bucks in the till? Is that what his life was worth? Is that what my father's life was worth? You tell me, you know, a couple of cigarettes? Yeah, they're a bit more expensive now, but are they worth a life? No. 
Shivnil told First Up producer Mavish Ikram what he thinks of the government's new initiative. I think this is something they should have been doing for a while now. The fact that they're rolling this out now is, I think, a bit sad because um, after my dad's stabbing, it, it should have been something they would have been looking at as a solve. But the fact that they're rolling this out now uh, was news to me that they hadn't been doing that initially. So for me, nothing has really changed. It's definitely a good start, but definitely not enough. Do you think it'll help? There's still no consequences as, I, as far as I can see. It's a wraparound service after they have committed a crime. And I don't think that's much of a deterrent for someone to commit that crime in the first place. They said that they've got a um, system where the justice system looks after kids that are uh, 14 and above, I think 14 to 17. But as far as I'm concerned, the justice system should be looking after kids despite their age. If they're old enough to do the the crime, they should be old enough to do the time. So it should be from kids that are 17 and under. They aren't being trialled as a as a adult, they should be trialled the same under the same act or the same judicial system. We spoke to Paul Twyford after that meeting that you had with him. Was it promising? What did you find in that meeting? Was Well, we just sat down together uh, just to see what we could do with this movement and um, how many heads we could put in together that have uh, similar ideas and, and, and like-minded thoughts where we have this problem that we're dealing with and, and seeing what we can realistically do um, some of the ideas that were mentioned in terms of giving uh, harsher penalties and stuff obviously don't work, and this is something that that was made apparent with uh, examples and, 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 and conversations, which is really good going forward because then you can rule out something that's not uh, worth investing into versus going into something that that is. So um, for that to continue, we wanted to have a few more people at the table. So uh, I think we're just um, waiting for that, really. So he said, basically, the harsher penalties don't work. Yes. However, you said that there needs to be... There needs to be a consequence, yes. Uh, yes. At the moment, I think there isn't a consequence and it's getting jumbled up with, with harsher penalties. I'm not asking for every kid to be sent to prison for 14 years. I'm just asking for whatever they have been sentenced with, say a year or two years, or whatever the case is, they, they hold them to that because uh, it seems like they can get bail in the next year and be out in a year or a year and a half, and which is what happened to, to the perpetrator that, that killed my father. He was out in two years, but initially given seven. And so, so you think a longer sentence could be a deterrent? The longer sentence could be a deterrent from what there is at the moment. They are just not sticking to whatever they're being sentenced. So there's a slight difference there. And the consequences to First-time offenders, second-time offenders aren't there. Making consequences harsher, that's, that's apparently not effective. But I think there should still be a deterrent there for kids, whether it be a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. Do you think this new program is promising and it's going in the right direction? It is going in the right direction, but it's still a wraparound service after they have committed the crime. So if, as far as I'm concerned, for a person to go and go into a shop, uh, whether it be a 10-year-old or 14-year-old, to wield a knife and then be prepared to use it. You should be trialled as per the justice system. There shouldn't be any prejudice into how old they are and falling under the 10 to 13 versus the, the 14 and above. It shouldn't mm. just be a crime for that time. It, it, there shouldn't be a differentiation. And the fact that they're doing this, this 24 to 48-hour service, I think, that's just showing that they weren't obviously triaging this quick enough and they're, they're just sorting out their procedures, which is, which is all fair and well. It's, it's well done, but it's nowhere near. We're, we're still a, a lot further behind in the eight ball than we actually think. 
Shavnail Kumar there. Now, a leading immunologist is concerned that a lack of reliable data means we could be heading into the Christmas period with far more COVID infections than we're aware of. University of Auckland senior lecturer and immunologist Anna Brooks wants surveillance testing to be reintroduced so we can get a better picture of the state of the pandemic in this country. Another tool we now have to help us to do this is antibody tests, which can confirm whether you've had the virus and which are now publicly available. Uh, Dr. Brooks joins us now. Morena, Anna. Morena. Hey, thank you uh, so much for joining us this morning. Uh, first, can you tell us uh, about the antibody test, which we've seen advertised recently? So this test allows us to sort of, a lot of, I guess, sort of ask that question, have I had COVID? The immune response in all of us is so complex and it's no in no way perfect, but it's a really great tool to go and have a test to sort of, yeah, as I say, ask that question, have I had COVID, especially if you've not had a positive test before. So what, why would you want to know if you've had it? I mean, what are the benefits um, for you personally to go and find out whether you've had it or not? Well, I think it's important for long-term health management because we know that no infection is a safe infection. And uh, we, we know that reinfections are on the rise. So it, it's about sort of self-management of your house, I, I believe. Uh, yeah, and plenty of people have been coming forward uh, curious as to sort of finding out whether they are that person that's been exposed and had an asymptomatic infection, or maybe they had uh, symptoms that never, and they never tested positive. So as I say, it, it's sort of one of those tools for curiosity, um, because it's also not perfect. It's not going to definitely tell us that we've had COVID in every single person. Mm. And I suppose it um, help, could possibly help them understand if, if they're, they're suffering something they don't realise what, you know, what it is. They may have actually had it or a very mild dose or something. But they're not cheap, are they? $140 a test and at, at a mm-hmm. time when it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty tough time for a lot of people. Absolutely, and um, and bearing in mind, you know, these these types of tests have been available through your healthcare provider, but still you had to pay for them, so they have not been funded. So as as we've sort of been saying, the best case scenario here is that we have have national prevalence studies to sort of understand how many people have had COVID, you know, by uh, random screening. Uh, but in the absence of that, you know, this is at least sort of a tool that can um, allow people to go and have a test themselves. But as you said also, another really important uh, use of this test is if you are experiencing what we know as long COVID, those sort of post-viral symptoms, and have never had a positive test, we have had anecdotes of people having a test done and confirming that indeed the reason that they are sick now was because they've had COVID in the past. Hmm. Now, as we head into the holiday period, are you concerned? I mean, we're already seeing numbers going up. Are you concerned that this is mm-hmm. going, going to keep happening and, you know, the hospitalizations are going to increase as well? Yeah, that is the worry because we're seeing this happening all around the world. Uh, you know, each country is in a different environment in the sense that this is our third wave. But in the absence of regular public health messaging, of limiting infections and and warning and basically creating awareness that every infection or reinfection is 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 not without risk, then yes, we're gonna 
continue to see cases rise, which is going to be alarming at mm. this time, yes. What are you going to be doing? What Personally, what are you going to be doing? Are you going to start wearing masks uh, or, or maybe you still are? What, what are your um, precautions yeah. you're taking? Yeah, absolutely. Any high-risk environments, especially, you know, festivities at this time of the year, if, if they're indoors, you know, absolutely, you know, things like ventilating and masking where it's it's not possible to be safe. And, you know, we've only got a couple of weeks heading into, you know, family get-togethers. So, uh, you know, that widespread awareness that infections are out there. So right before you visit anyone is, is generally uh, the rule at the moment. Mm. And, you know, test, test, isolate, and, you know, and just all the rules that we've already had in place, continue those because, you know, we're not out of the woods and this is going to continue. Dr. Anna Brooks, thanks so much for joining us on First Up this morning. Now, finally, a little bit of your feedback here. Kia ora, Anna. My sister gave me a book that I'd given her a few years earlier and it had the written message from me inside. We're talking about worst gifts ever. Great laugh and was quite happy to get it. Thanks, Pete. Worst present, a frying pan. Great to be with you this morning. We'll catch you tomorrow. Our Paul Paul Morning Reports next with Kim Hill and Karen Dan.